Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. Hope you guys have had a good week. Uh, today was Donut Sunday, and so it started off really well. Today with donuts. I'm telling you, you're going to think I don't eat healthy. I do, but I do like ranch dressing from Warehouse Pizza, and I do like donuts. <laughs> I do. I, I really like them. So, I, if you're new here, <clears throat> I'm Brian. You'll have to listen to me for the next 40-ish minutes. I say ish because you just never know how long this guy is going to go. But I really do want to get you out of here uh, so you can enjoy the rest of your day. But what a joy to get together to worship Jesus every week. Um, I seriously look forward to Sundays all week. I just can't wait to get back to be with you all. And so it's great to see you. Again, like Chris was saying, if you are new, we would love to get to know you. Um, if, if this is where you sense maybe the Lord is calling you to be and this community is what you're supposed to be part of, we would love uh, to help you get connected. If afterwards you say, ah, I don't think this is where God is leading us, please, uh, you can just email me if you, want, if you want. You don't want to do the connect card. I just want to help you find a church in the area um, so you're connected to a church. I believe in the necessity of the church, not for salvation, but God set up the church um, to be his community. It's a church member. It's a gathering of people brought together to fulfill a purpose. And the church is what God had set up for his people on the planet and with the mission that we're called to, to go make disciples. And so I just want to help you get connected to a church um, in the area that I believe teaches truth and shows love. So we just want to help you out however we can. Other than that, we are in the book of John, chapter 10. So if you have your phones or your Bibles or your tablets, whatever you read your Bible on, if you go ahead and get that out. John, chapter 10, starting here in verse 12. Um, oh, I'm sorry, in verse 11. And we are in a series called I Am. It's the I Am series. And it's taking the seven I Am statements of Jesus in the book of John. And why is it important for us to read these things or know these things about Jesus? Guys, it's not just an informational thing. It's supposed to actually impact us. So who Jesus is is supposed to actually impact who I believe I am because of who he is and what it is that he's done and what I'm supposed to do based upon who he says he is. I feel like there's this, um, and it's been like this for a while, that if you believe in God, you're a Christian. That's kind of how it rolls. It doesn't really require anything. It's just if you believe it, you believe there's a God, you must be a Christian. And that's just not the truth of it. And yet I wonder how many people just accept that as the norm. So now I believe in God, and then just be nice. I believe in God, I be ni- I'm going to be nice, I'll be a good citizen. That's all it means to follow Jesus, and that's not what it means to follow Jesus. That's just a good citizen who believes in God. But when we look at what Jesus says about himself, and then we apply what it is that he says about himself to what it is that we're called to do, it should, it should look different. We should be different. We should have different priorities we should have different desires and dreams. It should be more about Jesus when he told us, hey, when, I, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's all about him. And so it is important that we look at this. We're going to be looking at this all the way through Easter. Um, so our last one will be on Easter, Easter morning. And then the next Sunday after that, we're going to jump into a verse-by-verse study, which if you've been here for a while... I have no clue how long it'll take. I just, I just want to go through and we'll go. Sometimes it's going to be two words I'll get into it. We're going we're gonna to tackle those two words. Sometimes it's a few verses. We're going to start in the book of Colossians. And we're going to dive into Colossians. Four chapters. It could take us four years. You have no clue. But you may not have fun, but I'm going to have a blast. It's going to be a wonderful time in the, in the word as we continue on right after Easter. Other than that, let's pray. Let's pray. We'll jump into, into the, the study for this morning.
Father, we thank you. And I feel like I say it every week, but I really do mean it. We thank you for another Sunday morning to come together as your people to celebrate you and to celebrate what you've been doing. And realizing how many of your followers don't get to do this freely around the world. How many of your followers have met in a, in a, in a living room? Doors shut, phones off. For the sole purpose of giving you praise. God, may we never take this for granted. May, may we be moved to be with your people and to celebrate you. Jesus, you're so worth it. You're so worth everything. And we thank you that you love us like you do. <clears throat> we thank you for who you are. And I pray that as we look at another statement that you made about yourself, that we would be changed. God, for those who are here that love you, help us love you more because we learn more about who you are. God, for those who don't, they don't have it, they've never surrendered their lives to you, I pray that today is the day of salvation. That Holy Spirit, you would convict of sin. That Father, you would draw them to Jesus. And they would come to surrender to you as Lord. We trust you with all of it, God, with whatever you want to do. But we ask big. We want to see big things. So God, I commit myself to you. I pray that you take a feeble attempt at making much of you and make much of yourself. Thank you that you will meet us. Help us to engage. Help us to be teachable and humble in all of this. God, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, amen. Last week, we looked at Jesus, this statement where he says that he is the gate or he is the door to the sheepfold. And to sum it up, pretty much, is that Jesus is the only way to come into the family of God. That there's no other way to be right with God. It is only through a relationship with Jesus. And that's not just, hey, I love Jesus from a distance. It's I've submitted and I've surrendered my life to Jesus as the master or Lord of my life. That technically, even when I say the master of my life, I don't have a life. It's so easy to go, I've accepted him in my life. No, you don't accept him into your life. You just surrender to Jesus so that he can give you life. And so there's no other way to God outside of a relationship, a surrendered relationship to Christ. And for some, that sounds very closed-minded. And I, I always bring us back to, I'm just so thankful that God made a way. But I don't know if it's, I just believe it all to be true. I believe this book to be true. I believe, it's, I believe it stands against, against criticism of every kind. And I'm going to go with what I believe to be true. I think, I think the scriptures have proved itself. And so if Jesus says, this is it, I'm the gate. There's no other way. You can't get into the sheepfold but through me. And then right after he makes that statement in verse 11, he just, he just clearly says it. I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. Remember, part of its audience is a bunch of Pharisees. That's the religious leaders that didn't like Jesus. They said they loved and wanted to follow God, but they couldn't stand God when he showed up. Isn't that weird? That the same, God, the same people that said, hey, we're men after God, and we obey what it is that God says, and we technically love him, but we just want to do our thing, and all of a sudden they liked religion more than the one that they said that they worshipped. And when God showed up, they didn't recognize him. When God showed up, they didn't really want to follow him. In fact, when God showed up, God irritated the religious. But the sinners couldn't get enough of him. The quote-unquote sinners, they flocked to him. And what would Jesus' response be? He had dinner with them. He hung out with them. He was with them. But the religious constantly were critiquing the one that they said that they followed and obeyed. 
And so in the audience, when Jesus is preaching or when he's sharing these things, when he says, I am the good shepherd, I wonder how many of the Pharisees sat there and thought, this, again, I can't stand this guy. Because why, why would he equate himself as being a shepherd? Because to the Pharisees, the shepherds were members of an unclean profession. The fact that they were constantly with the animals and they had to, they had to touch dead things and they, they were never clean. They were always just, this is like the outcast of society. Don't be around them. And here comes Jesus going, I want to associate with them. Guys, I think it's telling when Jesus showed up as a baby, the first ones that got the birth announcement were the shepherds. I mean, no one else except for Mary and Joseph really knew what was going on. And then some shepherds get this angel showing up, and then the whole multitude of heaven, and I think all of them showed up to say, hey, glory and glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace on whom his favor rests. To have this birth announcement to the shepherds, I think it's telling that the one who's the good shepherd was, was here, and the first ones to hear about it were the shepherds. And so those that were considered unclean, Jesus associated with them and kind of connected himself to them. To the aristocrats or to the wealthy in that day, they were despised and they were thought of as vulgar low, lower class. And it doesn't seem like Jesus minded it. It's not like, I don't think Jesus was offended by that. He says, I am the good shepherd. And that word good, when you look it up, I think it's the equivalent in the Greek as the word good that we see in Genesis chapter 1 verse 31 when God looks at all of creation and says, it's very good. I think it's the, it's the Greek equivalent of that word good in the Hebrew. And here's what that word good means. When Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, he says it means good. It means also fine moral character, fine value, providing superior benefit, beautiful, important, pertaining to, high, to having high status, and lovely. And so when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, it's really, hey, I'm the epitome of good. I'm everything that you want when you think of the, part of the definition is providing superior benefit or pertaining to having high status, do we look at Jesus as having the highest status? Or is his opinion one of many? Does anybody remember encyclopedias? Remember that? That's, okay, this is pre-app days. When you had to find and you found the opinions of others mostly because it was assigned to you. And today, we have opinions going all over the place. I mean, they're thrown out all the time. Constant messages over and over and you kind of get to pick who it is that you want to listen to and who you don't. But there are opinions flying out constantly. Anyone can start a podcast. How do I know? Because I did. Now, it's just for us. I don't advertise it. It just goes with our Bible reading plan, but it's this app called Anchor. You just type in the information. It sets it all up, and boom, I'm a world sensation. <clears throat> Laughter hurts, but I'm telling you, like, I am now out in the world. I mean, anywhere, anyone in the world can listen to me. Now, that's the same 20 people every week, but whatever. It's fine, but I'm out there giving my opinion. Why? Because it's so needed. No. <clears throat> Opinions are thrown out all the time, all the time, constantly. And so has Jesus just become another opinion? Is he just an idea? Like, okay, here's the scriptures. This is an opinion. 
here's some writers and they had some things to say and it's an opinion but does it go along with what this person says and here's how it should be all these opinions does it coincide with what the scriptures say why because jesus has superior authority to everything you'll see him say it guys he is preeminent or he's supposed to be in our lives but he is sovereign and in charge and so when he says i'm the good shepherd and then notice what this good shepherd, the next thing that he says after that is what? The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's what the good shepherd does. You sit there and go, wait, wait, wait. Heck, aren't the shepherds, aren't they just raising up these sheep so they can be slaughtered for food? Nope. They're not ranchers. These shepherds, most shepherds in that day, they weren't, they weren't tending the flock so they could send them off to slaughter. What they were actually doing was tending the flock so they could make, or so they could have wool or milk or raise up lambs. This was not a slaughtering thing. And so the shepherd's relationship with these sheep was not, ah, I'm going to keep my distance because pretty much you're going to be on my plate. That's not what this was. This was a shepherd personally involved in the life of his sheep. So much so that the sheep recognized the shepherd's voice. Out of anyone else's voice, they would always go to the shepherd. And the shepherd, knowing them by name, but the shepherd would lay down his life. We looked at that last week when Jesus says, I'm the gate. And you remember that sheepfold or that pen that'd be out during the summertime? Just rocks, but a, an opening in that pen. And the shepherd would lay across it to protect the sheep. That no one could come in and nothing could get out. And so Jesus, not, saying, not only is he saying, I'm the gate, but I'm also the, the good shepherd that lays down. But he lays down his life for his sheep. In other words, he loves the sheep, the good shepherd, now let's just apply it to us. The good shepherd, Jesus, loves us. But then you compare that to the hired hands, and he talks about this, and I believe this to be the Pharisees in verse 12. He says, he who's hired, he who's a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Can you imagine the Pharisees are listening and Jesus says, hey, there's this difference. I know that you guys might be offended by me, but I'm the good shepherd. And then the hired hands, and maybe he pointed to some of them. When the wolves come, they don't protect, they bolt. They don't stay, they don't stay and take care, they run. Friends, you can tell the heart of a shepherd by how they'll protect the sheep and take care of the sheep. If you remember David, remember I've used that story before, David and Goliath, remember take, take Goliath's head off. But before that, when he's trying to explain why does he could take on a giant, part of his resume is like, this guy's nothing. I mean, there's a time I was watching my sheep, and this lion showed up, and I killed that. Sure. And then this bear showed up, and I killed that. Sure. Guys, you ever had like a small dog come out and just try to bark at you, and you freak out? Like, oh, no, 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 no. No, no. Even if it's a big dog. No, 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 no. Guys, if a lion comes out and you've got some sheep, guys, think about it. Like, how fast do you have to be? I'm sure you've heard this joke. Just outrun the sheep. You're fine. If you can, like, if the lion's going to come at you, how many just sit there and go, no, you want that. You want this. Like, take, take this little one. This, I don't even like this one. Take that one. But David's like, no, no, no. I see a lion. As a teenager, as I see a lion, I'll kill it. When I see a bear, I'll kill it. He's a shepherd who cares for his sheep. And Jesus saying, I'm the good shepherd. I'll lay down my life for my sheep. Not like the hired hands. 
They see danger, and it's almost like we'll use the sheep to protect us. Say, how do you apply this? It's weird. I have this, I guess I have this role in our church community. I'm, I get to be a pastor. It still is weird. I know many of you still, you'll, you'll come and say pastor, and you'll call me pastor, and I'm getting used to it. It's always been a little weird to me, but I'm getting used to it, and I, and I appreciate the respect. Thank you so much. But friends, I got to be honest, that there was a time, even though I've been doing this, I don't know, I was doing youth ministry for most of the time, so still, but still being a pastor, uh, probably 28 years, give or take, something like that, but there was a chunk of it where I was a pastor second because I wanted to be a preacher first. And yet, preaching is what I get to do, but I don't know that's who I'm supposed to be. It's what I get to do. And so for a lot of years, it was, if I get a call, I'd sit there and go, of course, I can get someone to cover that. And I'll just go and I'll fly and I'll get to do all this and I'll look how necessary, needed I am and just go, 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 go. And then God's kind of broken me over the last five years to remind me, hey, you're a shepherd first who gets to preach. You're not a preacher who gets to be a pastor. And I had to repent from that and some of you are sitting there going, I had no idea. Well, that's probably because I didn't say it. But I'm telling you now, like my heart now, it's just like I want to care for God's people. <clears throat> that's why you get texts all the time if you have your number. And that's why some of you won't give me your number. <laughs> but to constantly check in and to see how you're doing, because I actually do really care. I want, it's like God has made this shepherd's heart big again. But I, I feel like I can relate how it was to just be the hired hand. And I don't ever want to go there again. And it should never be that way that every church community should have a shepherd. Should have a pastor who cares for the people. Not just a pastor or a person who takes the title. In order to get notoriety and to become famous at the expense of the sheep to never really care for the people that God has entrusted to them. I think it is so important and I'm so thankful that God confronted me in that. He jumps back into verse 14. He says, I'm the good shepherd, makes the statement again. Friends, if it's repeated, it's important. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Now, friends, it's easy for us to remember, okay, God knows everything about us. I mean, there, there's that passage, he, he knows everything, like he knows every hair is on your head, and that's always like the bald joke. All the bald people are like, I hate that verse. But even those of, you, those of us, I'll include, those of us that are follically challenged, whether you've accepted it or not, whether you're holding on with the four hairs that are left or not, you're follically challenged and God knows how many hairs are under your scalp. He knows everything about us. And we sit there and go, oh, that just encourages me so much. Like God knows everything. He knows everything I'm going to say before I say it, everything I think before I think it. But notice what Jesus says, I know my own. And my own know me. So can I ask you, do you know Jesus? Because I know we can't know the number of hairs that are in his head. I'm not saying we can't know what he thinks or what he's going to say before all those things happen. But my question is, do you know him? Is it relationship with him where you could sit there and go, okay, I hear what the world's saying here. And I hear what this person's saying here. That doesn't go with my Jesus. Like, in, I, I know him, I'm spending time with what he says, and that doesn't go with what Jesus says. 
Do you know him or are you just known by him? Because the good shepherd says, I know my own and my own know me. And then look at how close it's supposed to be in verse 15. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. Like that's the intimacy that God's saying. Hey, this is what, this is what Jesus is offering to us. As the father and son know each other, so we're supposed to know Jesus in that type of intimacy. I know my own, my own know me. And then he says it again at the, verse, at the ver, end of verse 15. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Friends, if you want to know that if Jesus loves you or not, two different times in about four verses, he says, I lay down my life for you. I lay down my life for you. And you'll see in just a second, this is his choice. This isn't like I have to do it. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it for them. He actually laid down his life for us because he wanted to. Verse 16. He says, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them in also and they will listen to my voice. Who the heck is he talking about? I have sheep who are not of this fold. So when you go to the Old Testament, the people of God are the Israelites. And isn't it weird that even in the Old Testament, you'll see God go after people who are not of Israel. The book of Jonah is God sending a prophet to the Ninevites to make sure that those people would repent. And when they did, God showed compassion. He didn't, he didn't destroy them. He showed compassion. He had mercy on them. And here you have Jesus himself saying, hey, I've got sheep that aren't of my quote-unquote fold yet. They're not of my people. I've got people out there that aren't here yet. They're not mine yet. They're not in this yet. But I got to go after them. Look at how he says it again. I must bring them also. I must bring them. I love that. It's not like I need, I'm hoping they'll make it. No, to bring them, I got to go and bring them back. Jesus himself did what? He came for us to bring us into relationship with himself. So who's he speaking about? Well, if you're not 100% Jewish, he's speaking about you and me. He's speaking about us. He's speaking about the Gentiles. He's saying, I know people that aren't, quote, unquote, of the people of Israel. And they're mine. And I've got to bring them back to me. And so since that is the heart of Jesus, we will strive to make sure that that is the heart that we have. As a church, and I don't think it's just supposed to be us, I think it's supposed to be every church on the planet is supposed to be doing the exact same thing. Maybe not the same way, but we got one mission. Love God, love people, make disciple makers. That's it. Stay focused. We stay on track with that, for that is why Jesus came. Sometimes I'll quote authors because I just think they say things a lot better than I can. A lot of times, most times. But there's a guy named Gerald Sitzer and he says this. He said, a battle is now being waged to reclaim what belongs rightfully to God. Now before I go to the rest of it, and you've probably already read it, when we hear the word battle, we're like, fight, yes, and we get aggressive. And then we look for people we fight against. And we come back to the scriptures, our fight or our battle is not against what? It's not against flesh and blood. It's not against people. But it's against the spiritual forces of this dark world. That's who we fight against. And yet, most of the time, do you find yourself fighting against the spiritual forces of this dark world or just the people? 
the people you don't agree with, the people that don't agree with you. Look at that last sentence. The world is the battlefield. What's she talking about? Like the, the, the ideologies of the, of the world. That's the battlefield. Humanity is the prize. I think it's the same thing, if I can remember how he, how he quoted before, that our battle's not against people, but it's for people. It's not against those who don't know Jesus, it's for those who don't know Jesus. We want to make sure that they come to know Christ. And a lot of times it's very easy to go, well, why should they? Do you know what they've done? Do you know what they're being like? Do you know how they've acted? Do you know how they've treated people? Do you know how many people they've led astray? Do you know how many people they've hurt? And isn't it amazing how we can jump to those conclusions of who's worthy of mercy? Because I am, right? And you are. Are we? Friends, we're not worthy of anything. We're not worthy of God's mercy, not worthy of his grace, not worthy of his compassion or forgiveness. We're not worthy of any of it. What we deserve is his judgment. We deserve separation from God and hell for eternity. That's what we deserve. That's why it's called mercy and grace. I don't deserve it. It's a gift. And so since I can't stand before God and say, but look what it is that I've done, therefore I should get. Friends, we should be wanting to see anyone and everyone come to surrender and to believe and surrender their lives to Christ. That's what it should be like. And yet don't we find ourselves, maybe it's like this at times, the world is the prize and humanity is the battlefield. Doesn't it seem like it comes across that way a little bit? I think it's ironic that our nation is known as the what? The United States of America. And I was seriously, look, I wasn't even, for the, wasn't even for the message. I just started thinking, so what are we united on? Because that's a big word. Even if you say the states of America, that's a description. But you throw in the word united, shouldn't you be that? Shouldn't we be that? And yet don't we fight about everything? Everything turns into an us against them. And of course, we always see God as for us and always against them. And here's the thing. Those people always think the same thing too. They go, oh, God's for us and against them. If you're in the Bible reading plan, you got to see Joshua as he's getting ready. Um, I think they just, uh, they, cro- they, already crossed the, uh, they already crossed the Jordan. They're getting ready to take over Jericho. And I think I might have brought this up last week. Remember a guy standing with a sword? Believe this to be Jesus. I believe it to be Jesus pre-incarnate. And Joshua's question again was this. Are you for us or for our enemies? And his one, answer, one word answer was Neither. I'm not for you, I'm not on your side, and I'm not on your side. Why? Because God's on his side. God's on his side. And followers of Jesus, we're supposed to be on God's side, not my side, and not your side. We have one side, and it's his. And the only way I know what that is is being the, get my face in the book. Spend time with God. God, what's your side on this? Because isn't it weird that God can be against something and still be for someone? We got to keep that in mind. So do we, do we see it the same way? That the world is the battlefield, humanity is the prize. Do we see our mission? Do you see yourself in it? Like invited into this divine calling. Friends, think about it. Today, you could be used by God as an answer to somebody's prayer if you would engage people. Extroverts, you're like, absolutely. That's it, man. I'm ready. 
In fact, right now, even while I'm, even while I'm preaching, you're such an extrovert. You're like texting the world. You're talking, like, did you hear that? Did you hear that? You know all your friends around you because you just can't stand being alone. You love people, people, people. Introverts. Oh, this is torture. You're like, wait, does, does it have to be more than one a day? Because that's about all I got. Friends, we're missing out on the story that God is painting if we're never with people. Coming from the introvert. I like being alone. But we're missing the story that God is painting when I don't get out there with people. Even if I have to do it through an email. Just this week, I got a new debit card in the mail. I didn't even know I was supposed to get one. You know, you get something in the mail and you're like, oh my gosh, another bill. And sometimes you'll open up, it's a check from your insurance company. You're like, wow, I like this one. Praise the Lord. This one, I was like, what is this? And it's, you know, it's like hard, like, oh my gosh, I hope. And I open it, it's a new debit card. And I'm going, and the first thing I thought wasn't like, I'm like, praise the Lord. I was like, does my, does my PIN number still work? I don't like, I don't, I don't know if I can memorize another thing. And so I messaged them, secret message on through the, through the app. Hey, does my PIN number still work? And they got back to me. I was like, okay, so what do I do? What do I do? What? So I wrote back, hey, thank you so much. Thank you for your service. I'm just like pouring it on, pouring it on. Hey, I'm a Christian. Is there anything specific I could be praying for you about? She writes back, and this is all it was. Uh, pray for health, safety, and peace. Like, oh my gosh, this is like, this is like a Miss America contest. Like, that's what, I pray for, I just want, I want to pray for world peace. It's like, that's all that there is. I'm like, okay, so that's it? And I, I knew it was just a quick one, so what did I do? I was like, okay, I absolutely will pray for that. But in a week, I'm going to message her again. I say, hey, has God answered any prayers? She's like, well, that's kind of wussy. It's, it's on this side of the screen. But it's a person. It's still a person. Start there. Or maybe just start with a person face-to-face. Someone you know, someone you don't. But what if you got engaged in the process just one day, try today, when you leave here, to be involved with what it is that God has called all of us to do? Because if you want to see the miraculous, then you need to be where God wants you to be so you do the work that, or so that you see him do the work that he's already doing. And what if you stare and they don't want Jesus? What if you're just the person? What if you're the second person in seven and you've done your part? Like, we always think it has to happen in that moment or a failure. But what if God's like, your part was this. That's all. That's all I had you to do. Because I'm preparing him for this. What if we all got involved in the process rather than thinking it's just the evangelists that do the work? We all do it. And then look at the next statement as he closes that verse. He says, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. One flock, one shepherd. I've said this before, and I'll keep saying it. Friends, if there's ever a point where you feel like you need to put a descriptive, a descriptive word in, the, in front of the word Christian to describe yourself, that's your agenda, and it might not be God's. If I just say I'm a follower of Christ, that should be enough. Why? Because there's one flock, one shepherd. It's all about him. I shouldn't have to describe myself if I'm just going after Jesus. So whether it's Jews or Gentiles, men or women, young and old, peoples of all tongues, nationalities, one flock, one shepherd. How important is unity to Jesus? In Luke chapter 9, verse 49, look at what, look at what happens. Jesus answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. That's that's probably not the thing to say to Jesus. 
We try to stop him from driving a demon out of a person because he doesn't follow us with you. He doesn't follow you with us. It's not about you. He's, is that what he really saying or is he saying he's not coming with us? And so if he's not coming with us, then he shouldn't be doing the work that we're getting to see you do. And Jesus said to him, do not stop him, for the one who's not against you is for you. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Followers of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you just get to sit just for a second. Followers of Jesus, let me say that again. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. How do I know if I'm walking in a manner worthy of the calling that I've received? I've been called. It's not something I've earned. I've been called. I've been invited. So how do I know if I'm walking in a manner worthy of that calling? Again, we go back to the book. Go back to what does God say? Remember, we're supposed to be living our lives in a manner worthy of the one who's called us and the manner which he called us. It's about him. And I want my life to be lived out in such a way that people go, okay, I might not agree with you on what you believe, but man, you do something right. There's something different about you. And to think that all the pressure is not on you, as a follower of Jesus, if you have surrendered your life to Christ and you, you now have the Holy Spirit in you, him living in and through us should be evident to those that are around us. And I put us in there because, oh, I fail. And I just get some gone, God, what do, what do I need to do to continue to release me more and just let you have every bit of control in my life? What else do I need? Because I do not like when I live like this. It is not in a manner worthy of the high calling that I've received as a follower of Jesus. Verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Bearing with one another in love. I've used this before. Why do we have to bear with each other? Why do we have to bear with each other in love? Because we're going to tick each other off. But we do it in love. We respect. We're gentle. And this is not, these are not characteristics that are applauded by the world today. Be aggressive. Be strong, take charge, take control. And yet we follow a Jesus who has all power, all authority, who lays down his life. So by what ideology or belief system will we live? Well, I have a strong personality. Great. Learn how to be meek. Well, that's weak. No, meek doesn't mean weak. Meek is quiet strength. Meek is knowing to have the perfect emotional response to every single situation. That followers of Jesus, there should be things that drive us crazy. Like we, there should be things that anger us. When a baby is taken out of a womb, not by the choice of the baby, but by someone else, it should break us. It should break our hearts because that little one's being formed into the image of God. It should anger us. But our battlefield is not humanity. Our battlefield is the world. Humanity is the prize. So we fight for the unity of the church. You'll see it in verse 4. I'm sorry, verse 3. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. We're eager to maintain unity. We're going to be gentle and show love. We're not going to ditch gentleness and love in the name of truth. And we're not going to just love people at the expense of truth. We're going to do both. 
We're going to live in this. But we're going to be eager to maintain unity. Why? Verse 4, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Do you see the one word that's repeated over and over? The one. There's only one. There's only one faith. There's only one baptism. There's only one spirit. There's only one Savior. There's only one, there's only one Father. There's only one hope. There's one. It's all about him. It's not about our agenda. It's about his so I wrote a couple questions underneath this passage. It just made me start to think through some, some things. The first was this. Are we more prone to strive for unity or fight for division? Sometimes I think we like to fight. Be honest. Don't have to raise your hands. Let's be honest. Some of you guys like to fight, huh? Like all of a sudden you get to get to fight. Like Jonathan's just being honest. That's me. Okay. So he just throws up. But sometimes the fight's kind of fun, Right? Just jump in there and see where it goes, and then I'm going to win. Fight. But church, we can disagree on things, but we got to come back to the one. There's one. We got to come back to what does the scripture say? Because there's only one. There's truth. What is it? We're going to bear with one another through it, but are we more eager to fight for unity or are we more eager to fight for division? Because think about it. Today, like I said, we fight about everything. Do you remember the day, those of you that are a little more seasoned in life, do you remember when you could disagree with a person on one topic and still be friends? Do you remember those days where you could disagree on a topic you didn't agree with what they were doing or what they were thinking, but you could still be friends and still respect and love each other as friends. And now if you disagree with one aspect, you are what? You're ditching them as people. They say, it's like, no, oh, you can't be friends at all. It's over. You're now enemy. Oh, weren't those good old days? You say, oh, if we could ever go back. Don't go back. Let's just bring it forward. Let's keep going and let's be the example of what it looks like to be eager for unity. The next question that came to my mind, are our excuses for bitterness and division valid before Jesus who calls us to be united? If Jesus calls us to be united, all the reasons I might want to fight for division or fight against someone before Jesus, are they valid? Or are they just preferential to me? Guys, we have a culture that just needs something. Boundaries have been pushed to the side, and now boundaries are just pretty much preference. Feelings. Feelings have become God now, haven't they? However you feel is what you are. And if you disagree with any part of it, then you're not being loving as if we think that we know what love is. And yet in the definition of love is that those who love, love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. If there's truth, that means that there's boundaries that are set up. And if I'm going to love a person, then I'm going to make sure, hey, let's live in these boundaries rather than follow a false narrative that doesn't lead you to anywhere close to truth, but is actually detrimental to you. 
Okay, I bring up the topic. If I bring up the topic of abortion, I know that in a room with this many people in it, or those who are watching online, maybe some of you have been impacted in some way. And I, I bring that topic up not to stir any emotion of I, I, we're angry or I have hatred, nothing. Because I know that maybe for some of you had an abortion that you need to go through healing, it hurts. And my prayer is that God is doing something in your life to bring you to the point that you can experience healing because there's forgiveness in Jesus. But do you realize there's so many other things, friends, we talk about sexuality, what God has set up. That sexual relationship is supposed to be between one man, one woman in marriage. That God had set that up. This is what he set up as his standards. And this is not a a jab or a fight against anyone. It's just, this is what God has set up as standards, and I believe that there's blessing and obedience to God. This good shepherd who's leading us, we need to believe that he's better than anything or anyone else. And I know that for some, that is just, it hurts, because you know people. And I'm so thankful that it hurts, because it means you haven't become callous. Because if Jesus came to seek and save the lost, that must mean that he loved us so much that he would. I believe that God has set up genders, man, woman. I believe he set it up. And yet we don't jump into the culture fight of someone who might struggle with that and just go, okay, so I'm against you. You're not. We're not. It's just a narrative that's wrong. It's false. And we want to bring them to the truth of Jesus. And what Jesus has set up is this is right, and this is good, this is profitable, it's perfect, it's lovely, it's enjoyable. We want to bring them to that place, not push against them, but bring them to the cross, bring them to Christ. But what is it we do? Boom, here's my line, and unless you come across, I'm against you. Aren't you thankful that Jesus never drew a line? He came all the way to us. And he brought us all the way back. Church, that's what we're called to do. Why? Because the good shepherd did it. And the good shepherd does it. Friends, condoning sin. We're never called to do that. But love and adore the sinner because we want them to know Christ. That's what we're called to do. I get it. But friends, let's be the example. Let's show this is what it's supposed to be like. So Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And I wonder if his audience, when he said that, if they would go to that, that famous psalm that we usually only hear read at a funeral. Why do we only hear it read at a funeral? I, I read it at a funeral. Because then it says, when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that seems like it fits a funeral. So when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, did they sit and go, I am, what? I'm the good shepherd, so, oh wait, the Lord is my shepherd. Can you finish the next part? I shall not want. That first phrase, the Lord is my shepherd. There's an author that I love to read, but I can't read them all at once because it's like trying to drink from a fire hydrant. I can't get all of it. But he made this statement, and I wrote it down, and I'm going to share with you because I don't want to hurt by myself. But it was so convicting when he said this. The Lord is my shepherd is written on many more tombstones than lives. Whoa. The Lord is my shepherd is written on so many more tombstones than lives. 
Friends, does that one statement tell anything about you? The Lord is my shepherd. I like the fact that the psalmist who I believe to be David, I'm so glad that he didn't say, hey, the Lord is a shepherd. He's like a shepherd. He says, no, he's my shepherd. And if he's my shepherd, then where he leads, I follow. And I know he's going to care for me, and he's going to protect me, and he's going to look out for me, and he's going to provide for me. I know all these things, so therefore it should impact me. And you should be able to see it in my life and how I live and how I relate and how I respond and react to different things. That the Lord is my shepherd. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I will not want. I have nothing. I don't need anything. There's no wants that I have. I have the shepherd. Verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Aren't those beautiful things? So why? Well, look at this. He makes me lie down. I love the fact that Jesus, when I won't lie down, he'll make me lie down. You've, you've gotten to enjoy the journey of Bella, my puppy, from a distance. For those who have been here, and she is still the same. A little bit better, but still the same. And now I'm getting to the point where it's like, you need to sit. And she'll just kind of fight. And she'll bark at me and like, no, you're going to sit, sit. And so I just keep doing this, sit, sit. She's just staring. She thinks she's going to win, but there's no way a little dog's going to beat me. <laughs> sit, sit. And she starts backing up. Sit, sit, sit. All of a sudden she sits. I'm like, yes, I win. Lay down. You know, she lay, and when she, gets, when she lays down, she, you, know what, you know what she gets? She gets a Cheerio. <laughs> We're at that point, bribery. Every time, get on your mat, which is crazy. Like, Kelly's become the dog whisperer. Dog, get on your mat, walks there, sits down, lays down. You're like, she sounds like the perfect dog until she doesn't like it. When she lays down Cheerios, she's just, now Kelly's just throwing Cheerios. Like, as we're trying to watch a show, all of a sudden a Cheerio goes, just keep going. I said, I will buy boxes and boxes of Cheerios to keep that dog there. Bella doesn't want to sit down, doesn't want to lay down. Why? Because she wants to be on the belt, but it's better that you lie down. Why? You get a Cheerio. Just one at a time. And for us, friends, we just want to get up and run, 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 go, 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 because we're freaking out. God's going to say, I need you to lay down. I can't. I need you to lie down. I can't. And when you won't, because he loves you, at some point he will make you. Because he knows what's best. Any, anyone here ever just worked so hard, worked so hard, worked so hard without taking a day off? And then all of a sudden you get sick and you can't do anything afterwards? And you just sit there and go, why am I sick? And God's like, I got to make you lie down at some point. I don't think every sickness is that. But I know it's, I'll go, 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 go. And all of a sudden I'll get sick. Why am I getting sick? Why? Because I need to slow down. Side note, here's a little story. I played, uh, I played um, Capture the Flag last Sunday with the students because I am... All in. 47 and still going strong. I serious, I told you, every time I run, I pull a hamstring. Every time. For the last 10 years. I'd be playing flag football. Boom, I feel it. There was one time I pulled both of them. Like, boom, boom. I'm like, oh, crud. So I'm, I'm kind of like walking like a dinosaur the whole time trying to. So, I'm trying to, so this time, I seriously, I warmed up. I stretched. I did everything. I didn't pull a hamstring. But not, okay, here's my claim to fame. There's a little sixth grader, seventh grader. She was a soccer player. I took her down. She was running away from me, and I tagged her. Boom, 
owned it. I was like, oh, you just got taken down by an old man. She's like, oh, loser, I know, but you must be worse than the loser because I beat you. And so I got her. But I'm over here between the mods, and I see Zach coming. And I don't know if he saw me, so I, all, I did, all I did was turn around to go. I felt this pull in my calf. It's like, boop, I just, boop. I'm like, are you kidding me? So now I'm walking around like a pirate there today. This is it, this is it, this is it, this is it. So I'm like, God, just take me home. It's over, it's over. Two days later, I'm still walking around like a pirate. But I thanked God for it. You know why? Because I realized when God made me slow down, I enjoyed the pace. And I said, God, teach me how to live at this pace. I'm not as frustrated. I'm not as angry. I don't lose my temper as much. God, teach me how to run and walk at this pace. I thank God when he makes me lie down. Verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. I wrote my notes after that statement. God never promises that we won't face the valley of the shadow of death, but he promises that he will be with us when we do. He doesn't say that we won't face it. But he says, I will be with you when you go through it. And watch this next part. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Guys, I cannot tell you for how long I looked at that part of the passage. It's like your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Okay, the staff, the shepherd's staff is the part where he leads and guides the sheep. Has the little hook at the end that if the sheep gets caught, you can kind of pick him up of the little ditch and put him on and get, get going. I always, I, but I thought that the, this passage was saying, okay, the, the shepherd's staff, yes, comforts me. And the rod, which is used to beat down things, God will beat you down too, and that's for your good. Until I read. Guys, the rod was never used on the sheep. The rod was always used on the predator of the sheep. And I'm comforted by the fact that God will protect me. And he'll protect you. So his staff, he'll lead and guide. He'll pick me out of a ditch. And his rod, he's going to go to town on the predators. He's going to protect and look out after us. We get a, as, we, as we start to finish, chapter 10, verse 17 of John, watch what he says. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus is saying, no one is twisting my arm to lay down my life. Jesus says, I have authority to take it, to lay it down. I have authority to raise it back up. What he's saying is, I will die of my own accord. No one takes it from me. So when you see Jesus, when we come to Friday, Good Friday, we're going through that service and looking at how Jesus and how he's crucified, no one took his life. He laid it down. He was in charge. His resurrection was him. He says, I bring it back. I take it back up again. No one has the authority to take it from me. Jesus has all authority, and he's your good shepherd. He's in charge. He loves you. He's good, and you can trust him, even when it feels like he can't. As the worship team comes back up, Jesus calls himself, hey, I'm the good shepherd. And what if we take that phrase and listen to this description by this old Scottish preacher and scholar named George Adam Smith. He lived uh, like mid-1800s to the mid-1900s. And he said this, he says, with us, sheep are often left to themselves, 
But I do not remember ever having, I'm sorry, I do not remember ever to have seen in the east a flock of sheep without a shepherd in such a landscape as Judea, where a day's pasture is thinly scattered over an unfenced tract of country covered with delusive paths, still frequented by wild beasts, and rolling off into the desert, the man and his character are indispensable. On some high moor, across which at night the hyenas howl, when you meet him, sleepless, far-sighted, weather-beaten, armed, leaning upon his staff, and looking out over his scattered sheep, every one of them on his heart, you understand why the shepherd of Judea sprang to the front in his people's history, why they gave his name to their king and made him the symbol of providence, why Christ took him as the type of self-sacrifice. Friends, when you picture that type of shepherd, middle of the night, no one else around, a bunch of sheep just scattered right there, or in a fold, and he's leaning up on his staff, and he's gazing, for what purpose? To protect, to guard, during the day to lead, to guide, to cause us to make us lie down, to take us to water, to make sure that we have our provisions. Guys, when I read that description, I can sit there and go, Jesus, you are the good shepherd. How good is he? That Jesus would lay down his life, literally. That he would take the wrath of God. That he would take a cross that belonged to us. Friends, he is so good. And he is sovereign. He has all authority. What a better way. Or what a, there's, I guess there's no better way that I feel like we could go into a time of communion than that. To remember his sacrifice, he lays down his life to take it up again. And the elements were in the back and should have gotten some when you came in. And if you did it, you can go back there and get them. And here's the thing. When you take communion with us, all I ask first, one is that you're a follower of Jesus. It's for Christians. Two is that you have to ask the Lord before you take communion, is there anything in my life that is not pleasing to you? Am I, am I sinning in anything that I haven't acknowledged as sin? And then just wait. And if all of a sudden something comes to your mind, the Holy Spirit might nudge you in a direction, just admit to him, just confess, agree with him, this is sin, I'm sorry, please forgive me. And it's not forgiveness so you can be saved, it's forgiveness so you can be restored into intimacy with him. That's all I ask is when you take it. It's, after I explain it, I'll pray, and then at any point after that, you can take it. So don't feel like you need to wait till I come back up and start. It's when you're ready to take it before the Lord. If today you're sitting there, I, just, I don't feel like I want to take communion, then don't. Nothing legalistic about this. This is an opportunity. But in this moment, we remember his body broken for us, which is the bread. Remember his blood that was poured out for us. That's the cup. That's the juice. For the forgiveness of sin. Why is that so important? <laughs> I can't go before God. I can't stand in his presence one day, one day without Jesus' sacrifice covering me. And so, as I pray, you ask the Lord, God, is there anything in my life that's not pleasing to you? Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us, and we thank you that you sent Jesus. And Jesus, we thank you that you came, that you are the good shepherd. And Jesus, we thank you that you laid down your life for us. Holy Spirit, convict us of sin, if there's anything in our lives that's not pleasing to you. Please, God, show us what that is, that we could confess it and move on and continue in intimacy with you.
Jesus, thank you for your gift of yourself. Thank you. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, amen. Love you more than you know. Take as you see fit.